I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to a very special episode of the Lost of Words podcast. This is episode number 200. Uh, I'm joined as ever by Jason Daniels and Bradley Todd. Hello. Evening, Evening Tom. Oh, well, that was good. In unison there, which is always nice to be on the same page. And uh, and also a very special guest in Ben Coley. Ben, hello. Very special. That's too kind. Uh, hi, Tom. Um, <laughs> nice, nice to be here for a, a landmark episode, I gather. And nice as well to speak to Bradley. I've not actually spoken to him before. I probably should have said hello before you press record. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah good company to spend a Monday night in, even if you are keeping me from the Arsenal game. Absolutely. Well, look, I think sometimes... Tom, yes, Tom, go on. Can I, just, can I just say something, right? Can I just say? It's 200 episodes, right? I know mm-hmm. we started this way back in lockdown, right? And myself and Brad, sometimes we can't make it and whatever. But just big up to you because you've done every single one of the 200, whether it's interviews, whether it's um, DraftKings, whether it's Monday night, Tuesday night, previews, whatever it might be, articles, et cetera, et cetera, special guests, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So big up, because you're the only one that's, that's been able to do the 200. You've stuck it out, and uh, it's going forward, and uh, all credit to you. Yeah, that's all you're going to get that. from me, so you never, ever get that again, so relish it, mate. That, that was that was, that was was very kind. And, um, you've been there, uh, Tom. Yeah, that was very, very uh, nice to hear. And uh, look, I think that, you know, just, just to rebound that, this isn't going to be one of those pat on the backs and, to everybody, but, you know, Jace, you know, you've been here from virtually the very beginning. I think we had a, a few player interviews uh, at the start, and then we kind of started the best in show, didn't we? And, and I think there obviously wasn't golf to talk about when we first started it, so um, that, that held us back a little bit. Ben was one of our uh, very early uh, guests on the Betting Podcast, and then and Brad was a guest of us, and then and then stuck around forever. So, um, you know, it's 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 all credit to, to all, all four people on the call. I would say that you know have made this what it is and, and pushed it forward. So, uh, very exciting to to be on 200 episodes. I can't say that I knew we'd get to 200 episodes. Um, I can't say how many episodes we'll get to, but very exciting to still be doing it, and it's always a pleasure to talk golf with each and every one of you. So. Without further ado, let's let's get into to the kind of podcast that we're doing tonight. So the first sort of part of this podcast will be the players to follow. And we were going to do this as kind of an individual podcast and we were going to pick our favourites, whether it be sort of veterans bouncing back or rookies or whatever. Players that we think can have a big 2023, big breakout year, uh, potentially, you know, major contenders or whatever. No matter how you look at it, it's going to be a big year for those players. We were going to do it as a standalone, but we didn't. We've added it on to the Sony Open because, as people may know, we normally do PGA Tour and DP World Tour picks uh, in one episode. So we're kind of using that format um, and doing ones to follow it. And then the Sony Open picks. So Sony Open picks will be coming up in, I guess, the 45, 50-minute mark by the time we've kind of finished talking. Um, and then we'll go on from there. So if you're just here for the picks, that'll be the time to kind of tune in. I'll put the exact time in the description. Um, but otherwise, we'll sort of go with our ones to follow. So... Jason, when we kind of gave ourselves this task of ones to follow, how did you interpret that and, and how has that led you to, to the people that you've picked? Um, that's just a very good question. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, eye catchers on their rookie year, I think, from last year, or, or those on the, you know, how, how it works, on the PGA Tour, they arrive halfway through and, and things like that. So things, people that have caught my eye last, last year, um, I have got a couple that are second season, um, players, um, it's a mixture, really. I mean, I could have gone, 
you know, I've, re- I've read most of the articles. I've certainly read Ben's. I agree with a couple that I didn't put in um, because I tasked myself over Christmas with trying to find those sort of bigger prices that, that people may not have particularly l- latched onto yet. I mean, if you ask me who I think will make you the most money this year out of all the tours, I think it will be um, Attire Titicole on the LPGA mm-hmm. Tour. If you ask me on the P, this is too late now on the PGA Tour. Um, it will be Seath Gala and obviously Tom Kim. We know that. Um, and I think they'll make you plenty of money. But, um, you know, I'm a bit of a mug and uh, I like to sort of try and find maybe a two or three, four, five, eight um, <laughs> that are just hidden below. And, and, you know, last year was very, very fortunate. You know, you and, you and Ferguson won 151 in Qatar. Um, obviously, then won again at 28. Um, and there were a couple of other winners on there, obvious ones, or what I thought was obvious ones, like Leona McGuire um, and um, Akaya Furu, who neither me or Brad can pronounce properly. Um, so that was really good. If I could repeat one this year that wins at a triple figures, then fantastic. I think there's one on the PGA Tour that I like that will get placed in the PGA Championship at some point whenever he plays it. Um, and apart from that, it's who knows, you know, roll the dice and hope they win. Yeah, no, I like that. And and same question to you, Brad. When, when we sort of put this task to you, was it a case of looking for younger players? Was it a case of looking for people that may have bounced back from disappointing years? Or did a bit of a mix? It's a bit of a mix, yeah. I like to obviously look for players with potential, like decent pedigree on an upward trend of form. Um, but then, yeah, I feel like you always also need to take into account players that are getting a second chance. Um, and just sort of target a player that might not be necessarily ready to win but sort of trying to establish themselves um, at that level and then also find someone that is ready to win that you feel like is really built on um, a good year and that they're going to come out firing and um, that's our sort of a player from each in that sort of category. Yeah, no, I like that. And then, then obviously, Ben, do you do you kind of sit down? Obviously, you've been doing this for a long time now, longer than, than, than most of us really. Would you say that you go at the start of a year and, and kind of pick out two, three, four players that you're going to kind of follow each and every week and, and keep up with their results, or does it just sort of happen on a week by week basis for you? Yeah, it's probably um, it's probably week by week to be honest, but it's always something sort of in the back of your mind, and there are players that obviously you'll keep coming back to because you feel, for whatever reason, that the market hasn't really cottoned onto them. Obviously, that can be difficult because once you expose that belief. Um, can change how they're they're viewed in future yeah um but generally speaking i i try and keep it fairly fluid because things change so so quickly don't they um but as with uh jason and brad like i'm I kind of looking for players that ultimately i suppose the bottom line that um they're they're broadly on the radar for the for the year ahead they're they're ready to play perhaps some of the best golf for their careers and obviously hopefully um ready to win some money and and with one of my players, for example, it's actually quite tricky because it, there are all sorts of things that I think um, are eye-catching about them, and, and yet they play a schedule which is generally uh, pitting them against some of the best players in the world and therefore um, makes it hard or less likely that they'll win, whereas if you target a, a certain type of player that might be less fashionable but might play in a few weaker events on shorter courses and so on and so forth, um, you might be more likely to land that win. Um, but yeah, I, clearly I don't have a straight answer for this, but um, no. hopefully, I mean, look, you know me, I've, I, I did it and I got carried away and I picked out about 25 golfers. So um, <laughs> for, for the purposes of this podcast, I'll keep it to two or three. No, excellent. I think I think that's the thing. Though. I think that we, you know, I think we're all guilty of maybe over preparing a little bit and, and, you know, this could be a three hour episode because 
you know we won't make it up because that that's not great for uh, engagement and things like that but um it you know ultimately like you say it's not a straightforward answer and it's almost a little bit of a trick question by myself because there is as i sort of led with there's so many different ways you can view it you can view it as the up-and-coming people that haven't won before you can view it as the people that have maybe switched tours or you know things like that so um yeah without further ado i think we'll go into the kind of players to follow we'll start with you jason and maybe just give <laughs> does that sound like we didn't want to start with you <laughs> um, we'll start with you and and sort of just explain kind of where this golfer is in the terms of the landscape of the world rankings things like that at the start um and then why you think they're going to have a good year uh top of my list for the pga tour players to follow is uh, davis thompson um georgia bulldog comes with a huge reputation um, he's the one that I think when he eventually qualifies for the PGA Championship, US Open I think he's going to go very, very well um, he's playing this week as are the other three, SH Kim, Ben Griffin and Harrison Endicott um, I don't think any of those are going to uh, take, take part I've actually got one from last year's players to follow that I think has a much better chance, but all those four all, all have a different type of skill set um, Kim wants a more accurate type. Um, he's a winner every year over at home. Um, caught the eye. Oh, can't remember now. Computers crashed, but somebody will help me. Um, caught the eye. Who was he chasing home? Is it Tom Kim? He was chasing home. Um, I can't remember last year now. Anyway, <laughs> played really well at the fault in net. Um, he was lying third, 11th and 17th. This is after, as I say, a decent Asian tour record. Um, Finished 36th over there at the end, 13th at Sanderson. Um, and then went absolutely to the Shriners, wasn't it? Um, so at the Shriners, he improved all his all his stats, uh, caught the eye on, on the coverage, finished top five. Um, and when he um, missed the cut of Bermuda and Mike Ober, um, the rounds were great, 67, 72, 71, 68. But everything he does and, and his winning scores overseas suggests that he's going to be um, in contention a lot more when it's sort of, I would say, minus 10 winning scores, minus 12 winning scores, rather than 20 and 25. So I'm keeping an eye on him. Um, he's obviously going to feel at home as well with um, players like Siwoo Kim and Tom Kim on the tour as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody's talking to Alfie Bamrat at the moment, but um, they all seem to be having a blinding time. Ben Griffin caught the eye last year. Uh, I know Brad was on him. Um, mm-hmm. when he, do you know what? I wish I hadn't done this better Victor article in a completely wrong order. Now Shades of Morikawa, Ben Griffin. <laughs> eh? Shades of Morikawa. Yeah, absolutely. Well, sh- yeah, absolutely, Shades. And I know Brad... Oh, well, don't even mention that. because Brad. No, no, I don't even know why I'm resurfacing it. I move <laughs> no, on. No, no. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, you know, very much caught the eye. Um, he's had an average of 21st for both approaches and tees green after his most five completed starts. He may well go well this week. I think I think he'll do all okay this week. Um, we know the fact that he sort of basically chucked golf in for... A, a year and a bit uh, to become a mortgage advisor. Actually, I could have done with his services about six months ago, but there we are. He's playing golf <laughs> again. Um, Endicott caught the where did Endicott catch the eye? Um, Endicott caught the eye somewhere. Do you know what? Next time I do this next year, can you tell me to put all the PGA Tour players in the order? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, Endicott um, been mixing it as an amateur with the likes of Minwoo Lee, Curtis Luck, Blake Windred, all of whom had huge reputations. Obviously, Minwoo Lee's come through. Um, to be the best of those at the moment, um, runner-up at the Players Amateur, um, he's got some. He's got some fascinating early form. Um, says that he wasn't to quote him. I was uncoached to deal with it, which is um, 
he, he basically, uh, his mum died when he was 15, really hit him hard, affected his golf. He didn't know how to deal with it um, all the way through to his 20s. Um, and he's fought back. You know, he's fought back. He's gone through the Latino American tour, um, runner-up finishes at Victorian Open and Queensland Open at home, um, and come over here, um, started the Bermuda Championship with a pair of double bogeys, I think, and then signed for a 62, which was another career top 10 for him. Um, there's just there's just plenty in there. He's got a pedigree in Australia. He, he lives in Scottsdale, so I'm looking for um, anything with wind and stuff like that. Um, anything that that has some sort of anywhere where you know uh, us nerds would open our previews with, you know, look for wind, look for Australian sand belt and all that sort of thing um, indication. So yeah, he's one. But like I say, Thompson is 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 the Georgia Bulldog. Um, you know, we'll come on to the to last year's one that I fancy this week. And again, unfortunately, he's a Georgia Bulldog as well. Um, I, I just like him. I can't really give you any more than that. And I think he's going to be very, very good. It's, he came firing out the blocks to the Davis Thompson straight away, mm. kind of. Um... Very well catched at a big price if people are backing him at 150. Yeah. I've got a mm. feeling, Ben, ben correct me if I'm wrong, but you may have put him up for like 400 to 1 of one week where he kind of got off to a hot start. Was that right? You've got a very good memory, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Go. The. Um... Rocket Mortgage Classic yeah. of two years ago. So yeah, he uh, first I think he shot nine under first round, and he was he was still there going into the weekend. And obviously, as they tend to at that price and at that age, yeah, he faded a bit. But yeah, uh, obviously agree with Jason. He was very much one of the ones on on my list as well. And I think if you're looking for a potential superstar among those that you know are embarking on their rookie seasons, I'd say he's probably the one. Yeah, and and, and, and with Davis Thompson, I think it's one of those ones like he settled down one on the Corn Ferry Tour last season at the Rex Hospital Open and. Maybe that was just all he needed to kind of uh, get him settled, if you like, because I think these players with high upside can be a little bit volatile. They don't, that they they've got all the talent in the world and don't quite know how to be a professional yet, and that's not really a knock on them. Like there's nothing really, Jace, to, to to give you a school on that, is there? Before you get out there, like sometimes I think you need a, a bit of a, a guide out there, if you like. He's probably got plenty of mentors as a Georgia Bulldog that he can kind of lean on, but. Until you get out of there and test it for yourself, it is very hard to get used to, to being a professional, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all there, aren't they? I mean, every year we look at the... At the um, I mean, obviously, someone like Taylor Montgomery came out and took off last year. But you've still got the, you know, Figala as well. But again, you saw Figala didn't know how to finish a couple of events last year. I mean, Lord knows what he would have done had he won um, early on in the year. Yeah. I mean, he could have been anything, you know. Um, Davis Riley, again, another one with name. And then you've got loads of people coming through. Ben's favourite, Justin Sue, who he, who he backs every single year, I think, for everything. Sports personality of the year, darts champion, everything. <laughs> uh, Carl, Carl won, and, um, you know, you've got Benny Ann back. You've got uh, Kevin Yu, is it? Um, you've got you've got so many that are now back on the PGA Tour. Um, it, it's great. I mean, you know, for, for people that follow golf, it's, you always know there's, you know, they, you know, Liv came in and Liv nicked a few of the, of the other guys, but it doesn't matter because all these people come through every single year. And there's plenty more on the Corn Ferry Tour as well this year. So, um, th- oh yeah. I think I think the thing is with the the graduate list of the Corn Ferry Tour this year, barring Taylor Montgomery, who seems to have fitted in very very quickly, the others are going to be a little bit volatile, apart from the ones that have kind of been there before. But I think I think what's really important to note, and it's been said before, it's not like I'm breaking news here, but like that the class before kind of had that two year chance to get on the. The, the PJ Tour, so they had Zalatoris and they had Davis Riley and things like that. They were kind of spoilt by people that had had an awful long time to to accumulate those points, and you've almost got better professionals because they've had an extra season. Whereas this time, 
you know, these guys, you know, like a Tyson Alexander, for example, is a rookie on the PJ Tour, hasn't played that much and had that much exposure anyway. Um, and all of a sudden has got to kind of deal with the pressures of being on the tour. So it's a, a slightly different prospect, I think, this year to last. Um, so just maybe one thing to note, I think, on the, on the upcoming rookie class, as opposed to what you've been used to seeing um, in recent seasons. But Brad, coming on to you, um, for your kind of, let's go, uh, have you prepared one for kind of the, the European side of things? Uh, yeah, what, DP World Tour? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually really like Simon Forster. Um, obviously, he sailed through the <laughs> gruelling DP World Tour, um, DP World Tour, uh, final stage, Q-School, sorry. Um, he's had six rounds in the 60s, um, and he won by two shots. Um, and he had his struggles, like he's had his struggles over the years. He's never been able to step up from the Challenge Tour. Uh, he came closest back in 2016. He won the KMPG Trophy in Belgium, uh, but he finished 33rd in the overall rankings. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough time for him. Uh, he's been trying for six years, and uh, he's he's had a decent run of form on the Nordic Golf League, and he got like limited starts on the Challenge Tour this year, and uh, he only missed one cut from 11. He nearly won in Denmark and had two top 10 finishes. Um, he was 42nd in the rankings. That's why he went down the Q score route. Um, and uh, yeah, he carried over that good form into Q school and he got the job done. Um, he's no, he's 33 years of old age, sorry. Um, so he's had to be patient and wait for his opportunity for the on the DP World Tour. Um, but like he's got there, and I'm, I'm just feel like he's going to make the most of that opportunity. And I mean, he's already had uh, a couple of good results already. Like he had tied fourth last time out of the Mauritius Open, um, and he was he's had a good result. In the Joburg Open as well, yeah, he's inside the top ten there. Uh, it's a small sample size, like obviously on stats, but um, he just looks solid, tee to green, um, and he's finished inside the top fourteen on two occasions in putting. So, yeah, I, I really like the look of him. Um, I've got an eye on him for Kenya. Uh, he's had a, a fourth place there in the past at the Mataiga Golf Club, which was on the uh, Challenge Tour. He was like fourth going into the final round. And then he um, he did a Griffin, he did a Morikawa, and he slipped down to tie 25. <laughs> a bit harsh, but yeah, no. So um, yeah, he's someone that I feel is uh, to what keep an eye on this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ben, just on on the the DP World Tour, so it's the first year that we've had Q score, I think, for a couple of years now, or maybe just one season we missed out on it. Is there anything that you kind of picked up on from the people that came through Q School, came through Challenge Tour this year that's maybe different from, from years past, similar to what we've seen on the Corn Ferry recently? Uh, not especially, no, to be honest. Um, you know, it's uh, it's good to have it back and, and certainly we saw a wealth of good young players come through and I think, um, you know, it, it's really the interesting thing for me is to see how quickly and to what extent uh, and, and how they differ in terms of how they adapt to life on tour as, as you've alluded to already like um the players who are supposed to be amazing don't always make it as tour professionals for for various reasons including the fact that it is a very different lifestyle and a, and a difficult thing to adjust to and it can depend on things like the mentors you've got out on tour so for example the, the young germans that are coming through and there's so many of them right now um a number of them uh, have tapped into Marcel Seen's experience and having people around like that has got to be hugely helpful and then you might get some players like Hissat Sunra for example who's obviously what is he 20 years old he's come through uh, Q school and he's already looked very very comfortable but as the year progresses and he has to travel from South Africa to Europe to, to, to the UK and so on and so forth 
whether he can find, you know, obviously you've got a couple of Japanese players already on the tour, but finding those relationships and getting comfortable with the travel and the lifestyle, it, it doesn't necessarily come easy. Um, mm-hmm. So watching them develop is the interesting thing. I mean, Q schools, it, it's great. It's loads of fun. Um, equally, you know, the success rate isn't particularly high because you will end up with players like, say, Tobias Eden um, to pick on the, the poor fellow. But he's <laughs> an, an amazing performance to come through. He shot. 76 in round one and 61 in round three and all of a sudden he's got a, a dp world tour card and there will be players whether it's him whether it's gary Stahl who's back at the top level someone like farbring or whoever it may be joshua lee and uh gonna mark weaver's son gonna weave that's it um you know some of these guys will really badly struggle and it will actually for mm. for a couple no doubt be the, the first and last time they get to play at this level but that's kind of the fun of q school as well isn't it that you get that chance players like nick backham who just missed out on their challenge tour cards um but for me obviously that you'd expect the challenge tour to be the more fruitful route um because it's a better indication of who's uh, of ability as, as simple as that um and and certainly i think they were a good class this year and I, I like the germans in particular and a couple of the scandinavians that have come through as well yeah, great. I think it's a, I think it's a really good summary. Like, I think it is really important to note the different ways of getting through. Like, as much as it is six rounds as opposed to four, like there, there are some quirky results you get in the Challenge Tour finals. Different ways to get in. Um, whereas, you know, with a, a Q School final, sorry, but with the Challenge Tour graduates, they, they've played a whole season at a professional level, a step below, of course, the DP World Tour. But you know, they've they've had that kind of week to week pressure of making cuts and and things like that. So I think that's a really good point. So Ben, just following on from that, who would be you mentioned there a couple of players that you do like from the graduates? Who would be someone that you're going to keep an eye on for this year? From the graduates, um, I mean, obviously, look, Tom McKibben's um, a very very exciting player. I'm not um, revealing any secrets there, yeah. but I'll, I'll go with um, Christian Krogh Johansson. Yeah. Um, I think he's got bags of sort of latent ability if I can use a horse racing phrase, like he, I, I think he has got stacks of talent and it doesn't always work out. But one of the advantages he has, and you think back players like Romain Longasque and Marcus Schinnel, top amateurs who came through with big reputations and have gone on to win on the DP World Tour, which is, you know, I think we have to remember sometimes because I think a lot of people would tell you both of those are underachievers, but actually most players with their sort of amateur reputations quite simply never make it. Um, you know, the, the, the fall off rate is is massive. So they have established themselves as quality European Tour pros. And Johannesson, one of the advantages he has coming back up to the DP World Tour is that he did play it in 2019. And he showed some promise as well. And he did what you'd probably expect for for a player of his um, makeup. And he, he showed bursts of form without really putting it all together. And I think he's one who could really benefit from uh, some time down on the Challenge Tour. And obviously, with the way things are now and, and, and dare I say, the weakness of the DP World Tour, he's still been able to get some starts this year, just gone as well. Played well at Wentworth, uh, played well in Denmark as well. And uh, I think he has done all the things you'd like to see to go and press on. The one caveat, he doesn't have almost no experience in the Middle East and Asia. And obviously that's where uh, the year will begin. Obviously um, he'll have to wait for his chances. He's certainly not in the Abu Dhabi field, but um, perhaps by the time we get to Europe, um, I could see him having established himself and, and become ready to contend uh, because I think he's, he's probably uh, pretty good. I would say, you know, I mean, I've I've top 50 race to Dubai by the end of the year, something like that would be a great year. And I think he's well capable. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I think like he was—he's was certainly like he's 27. He's not of that kind of 
ilk of, of you know whereas Tom McKibben has just turned 20 and you know he, he's certainly the sort of person I was going to bring up but like Christian Crowe Hansen's had that a little bit of experience without being too long in the tooth like if he was if he was coming up at 35 36 years of age you'd say he's just kind of got hot for a season you know his best years might be behind him but I still think there's plenty ahead of him I mean he played in the Olympics with uh, Victor Hovland um, back in 2021 um, you know, so he's had these kind of experiences now. He beat Oliver Hunderbord in a playoff at the Italian Challenge. He lost to Julian Brunner and Santiago Tario. Uh, lost to Santiago Tario in that playoff with Julian Brunner at the Czech Challenge. Like, he's had some experiences now. He's, he's lost a playoff. He's won a playoff. Um, he's played in those DP World Tour starts as well. So, certainly think that, you know, he's definitely sort of served the apprenticeship, if you like, and, and is ready to go forward. And I'm going to kind of follow on with one of the people that you always mentioned, which is Ryo Hitsusu. And I do, I do worry. I had to share the same concerns that you have in terms of like who's going to be his friend out there, who's going to be someone that he can lean on. And you know, I think if he was on the PJ Tour, it'd be a, a little bit easier because of some of the the, the Asian golfers that you have over there. But to me, like he's won, he won three times in 2021 on the the sort of Japanese equivalent of the Challenge Tour. And just quickly made a kind of step up um, on the Japanese tour, second, fourth, um, the kind of other fourth place finishes, like just really, really impressive. And one of the things that kind of stood out to me, and I know it can only be one week sometimes, but the 12th place finish at the Zozo Championship um, on the PGA Tour back in, I think it was October, September time, you know, it was really, really impressive. So to me, he, he's made all the right movements. He, he's come over here. He didn't start off quite as fast as I thought hoped he would after he, he played well in Australia uh, for second in the Australian PJ Championship and I thought that he would really kick on the second Australian event and then back down in South Africa but you know 31st and 26th place finishes to kind of follow that second wasn't too bad and you know we're only looking at a miscut in Mauritius where you know things can definitely go awry for most players so to me I, I think he'll be really really exciting and, and you've obviously mentioned Tom McKibben who I don't think I need to elaborate on too much like he will be very much in in people's ones to watch because he's 20 years old and comes from the same place as uh, same goal club as, as Rory McIlroy so he's always going to have that following him it just felt for me just to sort of extend on Tom McKibben that he really did sort of hone his craft on the challenge shot like we saw him get some spot starts on the DP World Tour when he was very young because of who he was and the sort of amateur record that he had and it, it sort of looked like he wasn't really ready and then all of a sudden sort of fifth in the Italian challenge second at the Irish challenge fourth um, at the challenge trophy as well and then really finished strongly fourth and sixth place finishes towards the end of the challenge tour season like it really felt like he grew um, and then just started the season off 18th 15th 13th on the DP World Tour it was just really really strong so to me those two uh, the ones I look for on the DP World Tour I think that they're kind of the younger ones that you're looking at. I think when it comes to kind of who could rebound as part of that kind of graduates, I think that um, it's tough because th- th- there's players that I would kind of write, like a Nathan Kimsey, I kind of looked at as like he's been here before, um, didn't succeed, what's going to be different this time around. But again, he was very, very impressive on Challenge Tour last season. Maybe the first time around just came too soon for him. And I just, I just wonder if he's kind of, grown up a little bit over the last couple of years and, and that can certainly be the case so a couple of those people there for me to, to kind of look out for but um brad we'll kind of come back to you for the pj tour ones to mm-hmm. watch okay so um i really like alex morley like, i honestly feel like he's in for a, a really big year uh obviously he's finished the year in excellent form um he's uh he's lacked that's what he's always always lacked is like consistency hasn't he? he's never really strong like 
some results together. So the fact that he's done that um, at the Bermuda Championship, he was 11th, 4th at the Houston Open and 5th at the RSM Classic. Um, I feel as though he might be coming of age. I think he's just inside um, the 100 mark on the world rankings. I think he might be 92nd, 93rd. 91st, um, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And uh, yeah, it, I just I feel like the flat stick is his biggest problem. He has random spikes with his ball striking and um, his irons, uh, but it definitely feels like the, the flat stick is the biggest issue, which is easily fixable. Well, I say easily fixable, but it is fixable. Um, it's not a bad problem to have. Um, and yeah, I, he's just he's been on my radar for a long time. I remember, I don't know if you know, but during the coronavirus period, there was like this local IQ series. Yeah. events and he he was um he was having a real good run um got some great results and i was like Who, who's this guy and i was like looking at his amateur record and his pedigree obviously at duke as well and he's just like he's, he's got a hell of a pedigree and it, it's just i feel as though with that behind him and everything that he's already achieved um like, i mean last year was his rookie season he'd, he already qualified for the fedex cups um he had a tied sixth in mexico a tied tenth in scotland Tied second at Corrales um, and a load of other good results. I mean, they're all abroad, so he obviously loves playing <laughs> overseas, away from home, um, which is something else to note. Um, and yeah, I just feel as though he's in for a very big year. Obviously, the easy place to target him would be the Wyndham Championship, given his ties to um, Sedgefield Country Club. And uh, you could just go from there, really, and just look at other places. He showed up at the RSM Classic. I think t- uh, this week's another great opportunity for him. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like Alex Smalley. Um, another one which I'm, I feel like is uh, he's going to take a while for him to establish himself at this level um, is Sam Stevens, um, another player I've been big on for a long time. Um, he just dominated the, um, the All-Pro Tour, which is the biggest non-PGA Tour affiliated development tour um, in the USA. And, yeah, he just absolutely dominated that. Um, he's got an, another one that got a great pedigree at Oklahoma State, good amateur, um, played with the likes of Victor Hovland, Wyndham Clark, Matthew Wolfe's teammates. Um, he's won on the PGA Latin America Tour, um, had his first year on the Corn Ferry Tour last year, and he didn't win, but he had a, a great opportunity to win in Missouri. It was the Advent Heath Championship. He was leading, um, and then he shot a 77, um, which was, it was tough. Like, I was on him that week as well. Like it was, it, and he he really did look like he was ready to win, um, but he hasn't won on the PJ on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, but I do feel as though he is someone with bags of potential, and obviously he had a good year last year. Obviously he got he got promoted. He got um, he got graduated to the PJ Tour. He got his card. He had to do it the hard way through the final stages. But he he also made the cut at the U.S. Open. He made the he Monday qualified for the Honda Classic. He also made the cut there, um, which is all good signs that he's he's capable of um, playing at this level. Um, and I just feel as though he's had a slow start to the year. Hasn't made many cuts. I think he's made two cuts. But last time out of the Irishman Classic was the first time. Um, he um, gained strokes on approach, which is his bread and butter. Like he, if you look at his stats on the Corn Ferry Tour, he was ranked 35th for driving distance, so above average. Third in greens in regulation for the season, 12th in ball striking, and he's also very tidy around the greens. 18th in sand save percentage, 14th in scrambling. Um, so it's just, I feel like it's going to take a little while, but this is someone that I'm keeping an eye on, um, and I feel as though he's going to start racking up some top 20s. 
Um, and then obviously when it gets to the Florida swing, he's in a, it could target him at the Honda or something like that. Um, I, I, it's just, he's someone that I'm quite big on Sam Stevens. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite looking forward to seeing what he's capable of doing at this level. Yeah, no, I think so. I think with, with Sam Stevens, especially one of those, I think he's going to be kind of a, 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 you know, definitely volatile as he gets used to the PJ tour and the step up, but the type of person that I think you could probably target in sort of first round leader. I think he's capable of shooting a 63 or 64 on any given day. Um, it's one on the Latino American tour. He's one of the local, local IQ series, like you said, probably had enough like seventh, ninth, 12th, um, 13th, 14th, like on the corn free tour all the way up to kind of a couple of more top twenties. Like it was, it was solid without being spectacular when he's got to the PJ tour, made cuts at Houston and Sands and Farm. So it's not like he's he's not used to trying to make a weekend at this level. Like he, he probably isn't the type that I would say is immediately going to go on to win, which I think you kind of alluded to mm-hmm. straight away. Yeah. Um and, and probably not even to the point where he's going to be have the I think like someone like an Alex Smalley has a very obvious kind of like floor where you can expect him to kind of get some top twenty, top thirty finishes and work his way up, whereas Sam Stevens literally could miss the cut one week and top 15 the other it's a different different type of player i guess which is what makes it exciting um to follow on alex smallie was absolutely one for me um i was worried that i didn't really know where to play him um i didn't really know what he was best at um but then you sort of mentioned about all the stuff that he sort of played abroad you look at corrales houston the scottish rsm mexico all has a little bit of wind or breeze or kind of a little mm-hmm. bit coastal as well so i think that's something to keep in mind bermuda he played well in as well so i think he's someone that's, that's game can travel um which is which is great to see in a good asset um and certainly one to keep an eye on as well so alex Smalley was certainly on that list for me um before, instead of going sort of back and forth like i did a little bit at the start we'll come back to jason in a minute for his kind of dp world tour picks but ben if we come to you for some more sort of pj tour ones to follow that you like yeah i'll um I'll go for someone more established. I, I can't not say Wyndham Clark, um, having sort of made him the, the one player to take from my unnecessarily long PGA Tour players to watch <laughs> preview. Um, I just think he is um, peaking as a golfer. Um, he's always had the, the abilities, obviously every inch of the modern golfer. He's massive. He hits it a long way. When he came out, he was known to be a brilliant putter. And like so many, and, and probably Sam Burns would be the best recent example, um, uh, but also Matt Wolf at times when he came out, basically his approach play has been the issue, and and that's multifaceted. Obviously, he's hitting a lot of wedges because he does, you know, he's sort of top five, top ten in driving distance, and and it can be hard to uh, sort of um, make those stats look better if you're hitting wedge after wedge. Um, but he's not a good enough wedge and short iron player to to be elite. But if he can fix that, then everything else, I think he does have it within him. Um, to be a genuinely top-class golfer. And I think we saw towards the end of last year just signs that he might be on the right path. Um, And certainly a sustained sort of six-month period of just driving the ball to an exceptionally high standard. Now, he's always had that ability, but I don't think he'd ever before put it together in such a way and and found that level of confidence where perhaps now he can go about addressing his genuine weakness. and it, it's it's early days, but it, the back end of last year, I think it was the most consistent version of Wyndham Clark we'd seen. Um, and that excites me for the year ahead. Now, he's the player I mentioned earlier who the nature of his schedule is going to make it difficult because he tends to favor the golf courses where you can hit driver after driver. These happen to be some of the golf courses that attract 
better fields in the first place. You know, Riviera is probably his favorite course on tour. Well, if you want to go and win at Riviera, <laughs> you're going to have to be a world-class player to do it, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe just to draw on that Sam Burns parallel again, maybe he'll do something like Burns did and, and go and, you know, uh, lead a tournament like Riviera, uh, find it a bit too much in the end, and then go and win something a little bit smaller. And actually, the Valspar would be a nice fit for him uh, if he were to just do a nice carbon copy of the Sam Burns breakout <laughs> year. Uh, it'll probably be a little bit more complicated than that, but I think he's got all the tools to go on and, and just become to peak as a golfer. And as you go back to what you said at the start about what we're looking for, some of the golfers we've been talking about, we, we're probably looking for that. Uh, potential world number one of the future or whatever or a major winner with a Davis Thompson or a Tom McKibben I don't think Wyndham Clark has that kind of ceiling but uh, in terms of winning an event at 50 to 1 this year I could see that very much happening and, and I'm hopeful that uh, we can we can see him get over the line for the first time yeah and I think you know you, you summed it up nicely in your article like you know you've got the inevitables like, that we've already kind of spoken about you've got the ready to peak players um, which is where Wyndham Clark sort of came into into the fold and, and then you've kind of got your stars in the makings and uh, the ones that are sort of coming back if you like the, the established proven winners that have got something to prove so that that was definitely how I kind of looked at it um Wyndham Clark I completely agree I think he's got an awful lot um going for him definitely someone I tried to get on the podcast uh, a couple of years ago because I was hoping he was going to kind of peak and it hasn't quite come yet but I think it will like I think he had a very good um kind of like college career I think he actually like transferred from where he was originally I think he ended up going to Oregon um and like just just looks like he's ready made as you say very much the modern player um does have a weakness um but i think he can you know i don't think he looks out of place i know i remember him playing well at the canadians starting off really fast and obviously that was a tournament where you know rory McIlroy, tony fino and justin thomas were all in contention like it was very hard to keep pace with them but he never kind of looks completely out of place when he's there um he does, he does make the mistakes that, that kind of limit him and, and putting four rounds together, but definitely do agree that there's a bright future for him. Um, Jason, let's come back to you for, for the DP World Tour. We, we've, we've left you quiet there long enough. Who would be your sort of players to watch in Europe? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to bore everyone with the Tom McKibbin thing. Um, the only thing about Tom McKibbin, there's this, there's this thing in my back of my head that he's going to do what Tom Lewis did. Don't know why. Can't answer why. As in win early and, and disappear? Then, I don't know. I just that's my concern there's so much expectation on him I know he's in interviews he's brilliant and he's been brilliant in interviews saying he knows where he comes from he knows what everybody expected it's not a problem for him um, and, and to be honest what he's done in the first year may well settle him down but everybody's looking for him but I, I, I've got a feeling as a punter maybe that we're going to be very soon seeing him okay he's not Tom Kim quality we know that but in terms of the lesser DPW uh, DP World Tour events we're going to be looking mm-hmm. at stupid pricing and that's because of his reputation. So where we're going to be able to back him, then we may want him to go on a form slump so that we can yeah. get a better price. Anyway, I put him in. Obviously, David Rivetto, who was second at Q School, um, is a difficult one. Um, he was a decent amateur. Um, it, it, that was a difficult. I put him up because um, he was unlucky. He, he finished. He wasn't just outside, but he was. You know, he's a little bit outside, a street outside qualification, but fought really, really hard. Um, at Q School and he started really well he's, his play is actually better than his three form figures on the DP World Tour are but you know it's it still at the Alpha Dunhill he was ninth he was better on the other two as well he was quite he was up there very early at Mauritius I think as well um, so he's one to follow and the other two I put up are uh, Marcus Helligilder, um, whose second season was injured for a few months last year when he came back he knew what he had to do to keep his card 
Um, he done fantastically. He was just outside top 20 at halfway at Mount Juliet. When he went to the co-sanctioned tours at Kentucky, California, he uh, had 16 of 18 greens in reg over there. Um, uh, on payday, so uh, he hit 66 over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, uh, moved up from 64th to 8th. Following week, he was never outside the top 22 when he finished 13th at Barracuda. Um, knew what he had to do. Uh, went fourth in Ireland, eighth in his home event. But he really enjoyed that. I mean, they'd done a lot of coverage on Henry Kelder in Denmark. And he looked like he was having an absolute whale of a time. And I can see him definitely winning that one day, even though his price would be 10 points shorter than we want. Hmm. Um, top 30 Spanish Open. Um, I like him. I, I like him. He won three events last year at the Challenge Tour. Hopefully people have forgotten about him a little bit. Uh, and we might be able to get a, a little bit of a bigger price. And the other one is Yannick Paul. Um, again, another German. I, I read Ben's article on Hurley Log. Hurley Log was just outside getting picked for me, which is good news for Ben, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but Yannick Paul, I loved his consistency. He just seems to be so consistent. He was on the Challenge Tour, kept making cuts, top 10 runs over here. Again, very, very consistent. I thought his winner's Mallorca was fantastic. He had half a dozen players in contention. He was by far the hardiest. Uh, finished really well, the season really well. Knows that he might be on the, you know, periphery of Ryder Cup selection. Um, really think he'll kick forward again this year. Now he's got the win behind him. So they're the four. Just on the Simon Forstrom note, Brad, I still haven't forgiven him for the 2017 finish challenge, which had absolutely <laughs> I can nothing tell from to the do. Giggle. It's, it's not his fault. It wasn't even his fault. Normally, we laugh. Morikawa, Ben Griffin, not to have a go at you. We laugh. It wasn't even Forstrom's fault. Disgraceful calling off after nine holes. But anyway, mm. hold the gap. Not, not that you're still sort of bitter about it after five years. That's the weather fault. It's the, it's the people who called it off, I think. That's who I'm bitter against. No. If I find them in Tesco's, I'm telling you. Right, well. That seems absolutely fair. Um, I think, I think Helicord is interesting, right? Like I think that it was one of those that there was so much expected from him because of what he'd done the, the year prior on the Challenge Tour, because of this kind of emergence of the Hogard twins and, and where Danish golf was in general. Um, and I think, I don't, I don't want to say he was a lit down, because he was, certainly wasn't a lit down, but I think people just expected to be on his first win last year. And I think the, the good news for people that want to sort of follow him this year is that like people may be put off by him a little bit just because there was almost this it's so facto lit down factor for people. Um, which, you know, ultimately is what happens. I've been sort of referenced it, like these people that you fully expect to go on and do well, you know, it just doesn't transpire that all the time. It's, it's a very difficult uh, profession and one that we have to kind of keep an eye on. The only thing is, I would say, Tom, is unlike Xander, he actually don't recognise when he was uh, injured and took time off. <laughs> not, that you're upset, not that you're upset about that one either. <laughs> no, no. Well, no, I just thought it was pathetic. I mean, but anyway, we'll move on. Well, he's got he's got some money that week, hasn't he? Um, I'm going to change pace slightly and sort of go with the the, the re-emergence of someone that I think you know has been a former world number one. I think can I don't think he can ever get back to that now just because of the talent pool and and you know the the advancing years. But Jason Day I think is is in a great position to. I mean, I've gone as far as to say that I think if he gets into them that he can contend in the majors this year. I, th- I fully expect him to get into those majors with a strong start at some of his you know, events that he does like. Um, and I think he, he'd be perfectly suited for something like a PGA or US Open this year. I think a couple of factors. One, it looks like his game is just generally getting you know back into shape. But also, like I think to me, like and it's a horrible thing to reference in terms of golf betting and things like that, but like... His his mother was so ill for so long, and it was you know it was such a difficult time for him. And 
you know, like he's he's just been so dedicated to dealing with that and and moving out. So I think he lives in like Ohio or somewhere like that, which is you know a very different place to live in terms of PGA Tour golf. Like I think there was a lot of different factors for Jason Day that that contributed along with injuries and things like that that contributed to the, the the kind of downward spiral in his career. So you know his mother passes away in March. He has injuries. He's he's not living in the, in the general mecca of where you would practice golf, and that was his own decision. And I think just the pressures of trying to get yourself back to what Jason Day was of 2015-2016 is, is very, very difficult. Then you start adding in all the different live rumours and things like that. And I think that everything that went on in golf last year, if you had anything going on yourself with that added distraction, plus a loss of form, it can very quickly spiral. And I think that's what happened to him. And towards the end of the season, he looked in good shape again, or towards the start of this season, sorry. Eighth at the Shriners, 11th at the CJ Cup, 21st at Maricopa, 16th at Houston. Like That's the kind of performances we expect from Jason Day and better. He's still just 35 years of age. Like, I think people think that because he, he's been around for so long that he's just way past it. But there's probably, if he can stay fit, another you know good 10 years in him where I can, I'm sure he'll contend for other majors. So I think just getting slightly earlier on the Jason Day um, sort of bandwagon and, and hoping he gets into those majors. I know, Ben, that you kind of wrote him up in your piece as well. I don't know if you had anything to kind of add to Jason Day there. No, I think fairly exhaustive, yeah. I think, the, you know, the, the market sort of, he, he quickly moved back up the market, but with, you know, he was 100 to 1 for the Shriners, and yeah. he's, he's going off sort of 25, 28 maybe in Houston, if I remember rightly, and whatever price he was for the RSM, then good luck if you're backing him for an RSM classic, but there <laughs> we go. Um, but with a player like Jason Day, like it's very difficult to argue that, you know, the market is properly adjusted to how well he's playing again, because he's, you know, where, where do you stop really? He can be favorite for a PGA tour event again in future. So yeah, I'm, I'm very positive about his future. Obviously it depends uh, to some degree on his fitness. Um, but I think what is easy to forget, if you think back to 2020 and the PGA championship, um, which by the way, I mean, he started that about 40 to one. So it just shows you that, you know, his price volatility has been massive over the last couple of years, but he really, although he didn't win, obviously, um, and although you know you might look on the face of it and think he was a bit disappointing, I, I remember that week he he really didn't back off at all. Uh, he barely missed a shot. Um, I think the putter was pretty cold, if I remember rightly. And the point of this is to say that um, I don't think he's lost that sort of. Um, I don't want to say ruthlessness because we'll see about that, but just a, a toughness in the mix mm-hmm. that I think I think he's definitely one who, if he got back there, the, the feelings would come back. And um, yeah, as you said, Tom, where better to start for Jason Day than out in California at the events he loves? And I'm, I'm hopeful we'd see him contending for one of them over the coming weeks. Yeah, and I think I think the early part of the season is is pivotal, and it is for you know an awful lot of golfers. Like that's not something that's you know rocket science. But when you have you know a part of the year where it is very suited to your um, style of play, to, to the courses that you do enjoy, um, and you're sitting 112th in the world rankings, like now is the time to kind of perform. So I think whether he self-imposes himself that kind of pressure and and struggles underneath that, we shall wait and see. But I think it's you know promising signs for Jason Day. I think I read some things to sort of say that the very worst of his injuries were behind him. I know we've kind of heard these kind of musings from Jason Day in the past, but I'd like to think that that maybe that is the case and and things are going well. So um, yeah, I think Jason Day is a good bounce back candidate. Um, rather than than kind of going back and forth now, I, I would say that 
I will just come to you kind of individually, guys, and just say that if there's any one player of any, of any tour, it doesn't matter what tour, that you kind of wanted to add to this kind of list, we'll go to that before we get into the Sony Open, um, just to kind of you know be aware of time and things like that. So, Jason, I'll come to you. And is there any sort of players that you haven't mentioned that you'd like to kind of lead off with? Yeah, just go very, very quickly. Uh, Challenge Tour um, I like the Alps graduates this year. Um, I think Gregorio De Leo, if that's how you say it, I'm from Romford, mate, so that's the best you're going to get. Um, he looks outstanding. I actually put up uh, Stefano Mazzoli, um, winner of the Brabazon, um, instead just because, I mean, I know there's only a couple of books that go up, but I think he might be a much better price each week. Um, be nice to have a look at the uh, anti-post market when he eventually comes up, um, if they do one. Um, I mean, De Leo won three events. He beat Mazzoli and Hurley, funnily enough, in Rome. Um, I know Hurley um, is one of Ben's. He's put up on his uh, players to follow. Um, Hurley's gone on to go straight to the European Tour for Q School. Um, Mazzoli and Leo, um, De Leo, end up on the Challenge Tour. I think they're going to do well. Alps, Alps have produced uh, Terrio, uh, Adrian Naus, Matt Wallace. So we know the quality is there. Uh, just out of interest, when he won his third event, and obviously made his way straight through to the Challenge Tour. He hit seven birdies and one eagle in his final round, De Leo. Um, has only hit 11 birdies and two bogeys. <coughs> he can he can go very low. I'm really interested. I might be able to get, you know, 66, 80 or one for a while, and, and that will last me the season, quite frankly, if he's that price. So he's run on the Challenge Tour. KFT is Chris Gotter up. Um, if, again, if there's market, he'll be right up there when he... Yeah. Brilliant in Puerto Rico as an amateur. And, and, and again, the year later... Um, Caught the eye massively against JT Poston um, and we were on at the John Deere. Tee to green game is amazing. Brilliant off the tee. Brilliant approach player. Can't do anything in the short game. But he'll know that. He'll know that's what he's got to do. Um, he should have had, should have actually won, I think, uh, Q school. Um, but double bogey, oh, I'm top of my head now. Double bogeyed 15, I think, on the final round. Um, he's a bit naive. He's a bit, you know, grip it, rip it. But he's immensely talented. I mean, he's got a huge college um, uh, resume. Um, I, I think he'll win the KFT Order of Merit. Um, and on the LPGA, I've got... Uh, well, I can't just do British players. Pauline <laughs> Roussel Bouchard, um, who um, caught the eye massively again. She was in contention on a huge amount of uh, tournaments last year before fading away, but it's only her second full season. Um, I mean, Brad, I expect, will know a lot more about, about um, these mm-hmm. than I do. Uh, but she's, yeah, every single week she seems to be up there at some point. Um, she's got um, Celine Boutier on the, on the tour as well as, as a compatriot, who's obviously won twice. And, again, seems to be in contention every week, but can't actually win anymore. Um, loads of European tour, uh, uh, European players winning on the LPGA tour now from everywhere. You've got Charlie Hall from England, uh, Gemma Driver from Scotland, uh, Leon Maguire, obviously, who's going to win about five next year. Um, and uh, Hi Ran Ryu. I mean, don't ask me. Um, <laughs> I was watching the LPGA Q School because uh, it produced uh, Furu last year, um, and I was hoping she didn't win the Q School. She hit 65, third or fourth round in that lunatic event, um, eight-round event, and I was hoping she'd finish third, fourth, fifth, and just get a card, and she ended up winning it. She's got great um, uh, junior amateur form. Um, she's a winner. She will be very, very good. Might not be this year, might be two, three years' time, but... That's my list. 
No, like it. It's a good way to, to round up. There's there's plenty of information there on all sorts of tours. So if you, you know, you're tuning in to... Read, read it on Bed for Victor if you want to. There you go. Read it into Bed for Victor. A lovely plug there that we can all kind of add these links into all these previews as well as Ben's he's done for, for Sports and Lab as well. well. We'll add them into the thread of the podcast. Um, Brad, any, for, any extras for you? Um, so I really like Cole Hammer. Uh, he hasn't got status on the PGA Tour, but he's getting a lot of sponsored invites and he's already made the most of them. Um, finished tied fifth last time out of the RSM Classic, 27th uh, back home in Houston the week before that. Uh, it remains really to be seen where he's going to be playing. I, I, it could be the Corn Ferry Tour or it could be the, the PGA Tour. Keep like they're, they're trying to fast track the big talents like they did with obviously Tom Kim. So he might just be getting loads of sponsored um, invites that way. Um, but wherever it's going to be, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on him. Um, but I think it'll do him the world of good, uh, actually playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, if he does. And if I feel like he will come way over card if he did decide that. Um, elsewhere, I'll just quickly run over. There's um, a Chinese girl uh, called Runing Yin, 20 years old. Um, she's a star. Like She won three times on, consecutively on the, the CLPGA, which is Chinese LPGA. And... She won three times at 18 years old. She went through Q school last year. Uh, she finished tied fourth. And she had a bit of an up and down year. She was struggling mentally a bit. I mean, it's tough at that age, um, new country. Um, but she had like some really good rounds um, and also a couple of really good performances at the Dana Open and in Portland as well, um, which just shows what she is capable of. And I think she's going to really step up this year. Um, she should be in the triple digits, so she's definitely one to get early on. I think she's going to come back in there strong. Um, and on the Challenge Tour, um, quickly, I really like Sam Bairstow. I've said it probably so many times <laughs> on this podcast. Um, but, yeah, he's playing Challenge Tour next uh, well, this year. And, um, yep, top amateur. Um, he's very well-travelled as an amateur as well. He's played all around the world, had some really good results. Um, so I think he's going to... That'll really um, help him um, coming into the challenge tour where he's going to have to travel. Um, and yeah, he's already played two majors, two DP World Tour events. He's had no joy, but I'm sure the experience will be invaluable. And um, yeah, OJ Farrell, another one. Um, uh, he's just, just missed out on getting his DP World Tour card at the Q School final stage. I sort of loved betting him during um, the, it was around COVID time. It was on the Clutch Tour and the TP Tour and all them UK mini tours. He was awesome like he was winning all the time um and he had some great performances a challenge tour uh, tied fourth at the english trophy tied sit um in denmark um he's just struggled for a little bit of consistency but i think he's only going to get better and he's going to be a, a serious threat and quickly on the corn Ferry tour um german thomas rosenmuller who did play what tour is it the, the pro golf tour in, the, in um in europe um but he he got through q school um two years ago and he struggled last year in the conference tour but he's got got in it again and i think he's going to be do a lot better this time around with a bit of experience behind him and chan kim like coming from um the japanese tour i think he's, he could have the potential to just dominate to be honest and uh i wouldn't be surprised if he was to win three times and just um qualify for the pga tour like that he's he's just awesome i love him great player uh so i really feel like he's going to be the main danger on the corn ferry tour this year yeah, no, I like that's a great, great summary of players there. Just to sort of elaborate on Cole Hammer, he can actually get a uh, special temporary membership this um, this no, week. If he finishes, finishes top 15, he's got to finish um, a solo 15th would get him special temporary membership 
at the Sony mm-hmm. Open. So um, anything inside the top 15 would be great for him. Uh, obviously, he was 27th at the Houston Open and 5th at the RSM Classic. So if you can kind of keep that early form on, that which uh, sort of certain trends in the Sony Open suggest you can, then uh, it would be a good move for Cole Hammer. Um, Sam Bairstow, just quickly, kind of, I just feel like there's a type of players, like when you're almost too good for those mini tours, but not quite good enough uh, for the, the very top of the DP World Tour and things like this, it becomes very awkward, I think. And, you know, you can lose sort of motivation and, and confidence because you're kind of frittering for spot starts. So um, certainly something to keep an eye on and where he gets status. Um, ben, final roundup for, for people to follow before we move on to the Sony Open. Yeah, to be honest, I, you could just play Brad's bit again. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Cole Hammer and the Cooties, um, which sounds a little bit like a southwestern uh, americana band um so we'll we'll take all three of those um the, the one i thought nobody would mention is oj farrell who i think could be a very good challenge tour player this year um so definitely uh, watch out for him and i agree totally about nice. chan kim i mean chan kim's just too good for the corn ferry tour um if he doesn't show that this year it'll be disappointing and i know look you guys will all know this but people who perhaps don't follow it so closely um he's an american um in in terms of uh, obviously korean american but um he's been living in california and arizona his entire life basically so it's not like although he's been playing out in asia and trying to find his path back it's not like this is going to be new to him um i'd be disappointed if he's not one of the top five players on that tour this year and you know it's probably going to be reflected in the market if if i was pricing up a conferry tour event next week he'd be my favorite so yeah whether you can whether you can make it pay i don't know but if he wins three times you'll you'll certainly win yeah, absolutely. Eight-time winner um, in Japan since 2017, so uh, very, very impressive. I think we're, you know, I think the market is catching on to these people that are making jumps from, you know, the Japanese tour these days. I don't think things are as hidden as, as they were maybe back in the day, but you know, we've certainly seen success stories from Japan to America and things like that. And, and as you say, he's already um, well-established living in America anyway, so it's not like it's a, a complete change of, of life for him, if you like. So, uh, yeah, certainly expect him to, to go well there. So, absolutely great round up there. Really happy with that. Um, everyone, that is our ones to follow section. Um, we, we could have talked for hours, but I've kind of got to nip it in the bud somewhere. Um, so I would suggest reading uh, Jason and Ben's written pieces. And obviously, Brad is going to be putting out selections every week with these types of players in mind. So, um, moving on to the Sony Open then, where we've got Tom Kim as a 12 to 1 favourite from Sung JM at 14 to 1, Jordan Speed at 16 to 1, Hideki Matsuyama at 18s, uh, and then a trio of 22 to 1s with Brian Harvin, Russell Henley, and Corey Connors. Uh, Jason, I'll come to you first. Was there anyone in that kind of upper echelon of the prices that you, you fancied this week? Um, our first name on the, on the book when I was doing it was Corey Connors. Um, and then you have to just think about what price is going to be, but then you have to think about his qualification in this tee green, um, and then you have to laugh, and then you have to cry, and then you have to go, what can I do? Um, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it was the first name in the book, but he's just doubled the price of Tom Kim, and by the end of the year, Tom Kim's going to have won twice as many tournaments as Corey Connors. don't know. What's two, I, what's, I, I have what's put, two times zero? <laughs> Sorry, I'm being cruel. I, I considered him. No, no, no. I, I, do you know what? It's Corey Connors, and then Russell Pendy came in second. So you're stuffed either way, aren't you? Um, <laughs> it, it's it's really difficult. I mean, look, I, I did I did a bit. I know we, we're very short of time, so I went through my usual guff. Um, there are links between this and Mike Cobra, obviously. Got huge amount of winners in both. Um, Pendy's obviously done really. You know, the second uh, to Decky at Sony. 
um, and won Mike over recently. Um, and that also, there's also uh, links with um, a memorial as well. Um, there's quite a few players there. Ryan Palmer, uh, Lingmurth, Decky, Kevin Nahr, Beck Kucher, blah, 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 blah. So I was looking for something with, with all of those. Um, <coughs> the other thing with Connors is um, he sort of reads like Hideki for me. Hideki went 31st, 12th, 19th, one here. And um, Connors has gone 39, 3, 12, 11. It just feels like he's going to do something. Uh, Tita Green here has played four times, been ninth and sixth twice. Um, look, you, you know what he's like. He's a Tita Green merchant. You know, he's he's got master's form if you want to look at quality. We know that. Um, but And we know his putting is the thing that lets him down. But as we say every week, if they were all great at everything, it'd be, you know, Tiger Woods. And they're not. So, um He's got positive figures here on putting. I thought he played really, really well um, last week at um, Tournament of Champions. Um, he's in good form. I expected him to be 20. You can get a bit of 22. There's 25 with you know, some bloke on the street corner somewhere that would ignore that. Um, I, I don't mind that. I really don't. And, and then you've got Russell Henley again. He's, 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 you're not telling anybody anything. Um, whether I can bet those two at... Uh, you know, whatever they are, under 10 to 1, the pair, I don't know. I'll go with Connors because he was first in the book. Um, and I'll leave Henley, but it wouldn't surprise me to see to, to see them both in the top five without winning. Well, I think, you know, Henley's obviously got, you know, he's got the winning yes. form here and, and should have, you know, should have won it last year, really. We know we know that. Um, has now won recently uh, in the fall. Connors, you know, not so much, but third, 12th, and 11th, his last three starts in this event. It is right up his alley, other than the fact that it can a bit of a putting contest, which, you know, as you sort of referenced, doesn't suit him. So it just comes to, you, you know, go on, Sorry, no, I was just going to say, it's really, you know, you've got people that will hit green after green after green after green and then miss the birdie putt. And then you've got people that will hit the rough or hit the thing and, and, and one putt, but mm. they'll all make the same score. And, that, and you know, if you're going to back Connors, I think here is this sort of place is where you want to back him. So, um, and... And, you know, you've got a three-month run-up to, you know, his favourite major, so why not start now? Yeah, you might as well. You might as well keep him on the book. He'll probably be a similar price to the Masters by the time it comes around if he gets a win beforehand. Um, yeah, right. Brad, <laughs> Brad, I know that you have picked uh, the favourite in this event. I have, and this Tom is the King. first time I've ever took the favourite on um, a PGA Tour event. I, I just found Tom uh, Kim so hard to avoid this week, and I think... In the free plays market with Bet365 is, I think, 14 to 1. And he was 16 to 1 early on. I mean, that's, it's, it's good. Now, I can't see him finishing outside the top three. Uh, I'm really struggling to see a weakness of his game at the moment. He's just got it all. The game, the look, mentality, attitude. Um, and it was another strong outing last week um, against the world's best at Kapalua. Um, tied fifth, gained on every strokes game metric um, other than putting, which is unlike him. Um, ranked First tee to green, and it's another it's another great performance on a course that he'd never seen before. Um, so he's making his debut here at the Sony Open. Um, so it just doesn't bother me at all that it is the first time he's seen the course. Um, always like Sedgefield Country Club as a comp for this one. Um, it's short, positional, strategic course. Um, also has Bermuda greens. Obviously, Kim wiped the floor with everyone there last year. Um, as he won the Wyndham Championship, I think it was by four or five shots, wasn't it? Um, he broke through on the PGA Tour. So I just don't think he's going to have any issues navigating his way around um, Waiali at Country Club. Uh, it's, it's a similar type of test, obviously, with a bit more breeze. 
Yeah, he's wise behind, beyond his years, and I just feel like I need a safe pair of hands after Morikawa last week, and I, <laughs> I feel I've got that in Tom Kim. So, yeah, I'm happy to take him. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you look down the recent winners list, and you know Hideki won it last year, Cam Smith 2020, Justin Thomas 2017, uh, Jimmy Walker was coming off a playoff loss uh, at the Tournament of Champions the week before. So they were the, the kind of, if you like, the class of the winners of the last 10 years. But it's tough because... Hideki was 20 to 1, I think he was, you know, or around about that price before going off last year. Uh, Cameron Smith was, you know, 50 to 1. Uh, it wasn't, he hadn't won on the PJ Tour by the time he'd won here, which is hard to believe considering the player he is now. Justin Thomas was 14 to 1, but he was coming off the win at the Tournament Champions. And, and Walker was 18s and, and just lost in the playoffs. So I think it's almost beneficial, Brad, that he played well last week, but wasn't in the direct mm-hmm. mix to win the event. Um, it's just tough, isn't it? Like, I think. I think with Tom Kim, it's like one of those, are you going to buy in now because you think it's going to keep going for this kind of short period of time and then he'll turn off? Or do you need to get in now because you don't want to miss his one win of the season? Or is it only going to get harder and harder to back him? I don't, it's, it's a really tough I, I just situation. feel like I've just continued to be impressed by him. And I'm just like, I just can't, I just couldn't ignore him this week. You know, where I have done in previous weeks, like like last week, you know, um, it's like not everyone, like, it's, goes play Kapalua um, the plantation course and just plays it straight away really well you know I mean Fitzpatrick did but in history that hasn't said that you know so uh, I was very surprised I, I, I shouldn't be surprised but he continues to impress me and I just felt like I just had to get on him this week Head to toe in night gear last week, which was which is a yeah, sight to yeah. see as well. That that kind of sells what they uh, believed <laughs> it on the tour. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Ben, I know you've taken uh, a player near the top of the market as well in Brian Harmon, who's now down to twenty-two to one. Um, but he's been he's been exceptional to start this new season. Yeah, um, look, he's he's one of those. He's you wouldn't want to go much shorter. I I, I don't think you can take anything less than twenty. Um, but I do think it's not a particularly strong renewal. Um, we've got, you know, four elite players at their, at their absolute best, obviously in Hideki, Tom Kim, Sung Jm and, and Jordan Spieth. But after that, you're into the sort of second or third tier PGA tour player. A lot of guys returning to start the year as well. And, and a, a fair few didn't play particularly well last week, although that wouldn't bother me too much. And, and certainly one of my selections was, was some way down the field at Kapalua, but yeah, Harmon's just playing great. And, you know, if you, Data Golf have got him the second best player in the field. Um, now, I don't quite agree, but I think the, the point is over the last six months, he's, he's played, he's done everything but win. And as you know, um, I'm not massively concerned about winning. I think we do overvalue it. And I think, you know, I, how else to put it? But if next week or Riviera, Tony Finau's two shots behind Colin Morikawa entering the final round, people will be saying, can Colin Morikawa see it out? because Tony Finau's ruthless. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, that that's a complete um, turn from, from a year ago or two years ago. So it just, it comes and goes. And I'm sure if Harmon keeps playing as he has been, and that's the key, um, he'll win again. And with, you know, my facetiousness about maths aside, I, I feel the same about Corey Connors. And at the opening 28 to one, I'd have probably been finding it very hard to leave him out too. And, and they've got broadly similar chances. I just think, as you mentioned, Tom, generally speaking, um, this is one of the events where you've got to be a really good wedge player, but you've also got to make a lot of putts. Yeah. Um, and you look at Kevin Nahr and Cam Smith and the guys who play well here every year, generally speaking, they can be relied upon to, to putt really well. Now, what I would say with Connors, he's, he's had three 
um, good putting, really good putting performances in his entire career, and two of them have been here. So if you believe that there's more to that than chance, then then yeah, um, better to back him here than than most places. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. And I think I think one of the things as well, like there's, there's trends, and you can definitely get caught up in trends where like if, the, if a playoff went one way or someone came off a, a shot better off, these would all be very different. But 17 of the last 24 winners of the Sony Open have played the tournament champions the week before. Five of the last eight had won in the in the fall swing season, um, and interestingly, only four of them have been under thirty since two thousand. So it seems to be one of those like you know the the form that you're in prior to Christmas does matter here. It does matter if you played in the tournament champions, like you said, Ben. Doesn't really matter necessarily that you've played well, but that you've that you've got the rust off. And I think that, that my point, uh, I sort of sent out a tweet earlier uh, over the weekend, was like. There's players here like a Tom Hoagie or an Adam Svensson or someone like that that are playing this week for the first time having played in Kapalua the week before, which is a completely different experience to the one that they've had uh, prior to you know different Sony Opens as well. So I think there's something to keep in mind uh, for that. And interestingly as well, like I always think with Birdie Fest, you immediately think par 5 scoring has got to be uh, a big factor. But there's only two par 5s at, at Wileye and both reachable and it's very hard to differentiate yourselves with that. And interestingly enough, Two of the last uh, five have been inside the top five for par five scoring, but two have been 13th, 18th, and Kazai was 48th in par five scoring, whereas you have to be inside the top six for both par three and par four scoring. So I think it's, it's interesting how it's made up for a birdie fest. A lot of wedges, a lot of really good putts, um, and you know there, there's an element of luck to it. To make the amount of putts you need to make here, um, you know, it's very, very di- difficult to predict. So um, something to keep in mind. That all being said, I did really like Tom Hoagie. Uh, he's come into kind of 28-1 from, from 30s and 33s earlier, which I think is all fair. Um, the fact that he's played the tournament champions and played well really um, kind of boosted my confidence in him. There is the element of concern that he's flying back for the, the national championship game in uh, California today to watch his TCU team. Uh, and what kind of state he'll be in. I know he likes a beer and I know he likes to gamble. Likes so to drink. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, he can't gamble in California, so that's one bonus. Um, how he comes back. But I think like people were saying, like, are you worried about it? I was like, well, I am to a certain extent. But by the same token, how do you compare that to not picking up a golf club for three months like, like he's come in the, the season's past? So um, still pretty sweet on Tom Hoagie. I don't know if I'll get there now. He's kind of nearing towards a 22 in the eight-place markets. Um, but definitely one that I considered. Coming on to the sort of next wave of golfers, um, Keith Mitchell for me, I, I, I struggled because he's, when I kind of wrote my preview up on, on the American Odds Checker, he's 40 to 1 over there, and that's the kind of price that I do like. But this is the 57th ranked golfer um, in the world, which is, you know, decently high up in terms of this field. He's, he's going for the top 50 uh, ranking. He's played here five times, made four cuts, and finished a best of seventh. When he was 16th in 2019, he was actually third going into the final round. Um, and yes, he'd have had to have shot like a seven under to win it from Kuchar anyway, but he was still right there. And then 2021, when he was 14th, he shot middle rounds of 62 and 63. So I think for me, Keith Mitchell's got that kind of ability to go low on most courses. You know, we, we know he likes a putting service. Um, I do really like him for this course. Is the, the 33 to 1 is not the most appealing, but I think you have to take a little bit of that out of it because of the field. Like Ben said, it's not the strongest renewal we've had of this and the field is never that strong here anyway. Um, you know, he could have won a, a CJ Cup, which was a very strong field. He's played well at the Wells Fargo. He's won the Honda Classic, 
play well at Bay Hill. Like he plays well in elite company. So I have every confidence in the world that he can do it in this company as well. So uh, whilst I'd have liked the, the kind of 40s that you can get kind of stateside compared to the 35s and 33s over here, um, I'm still going to take it. Um, Jason, any more for you in this kind of 30 to 40 range? Well, do you know what? I, I, as we discussed earlier, I, I did like Maverick McNeely. Hmm. Um, 27th here last year off 48th ranking strokes game putting. Obviously, he's miles better than that um, as a putter. Um, he's obviously got the course form. He's got Honda 11th. He's got various other top 20s as well. He's got Mike Hobe. He's got the um, Memorial as well. Um, my only issue is with McNeely is um, it's his scrambling that makes his putting good. So, he, you know, he's a great scrambler, so therefore he takes less putts. Yeah. Um, and whether he, you know, his, his approach stats are appalling for the end of last year. So I've crossed him out um, and I'm not going to back him. Um, and instead, I'm looking quite heavily at KH Lee. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's all I can tell you. Um, I'm currently looking at KH Lee as we speak. Um, seventh last week, obviously, tournament champions. Um, uh, you know, improved dramatically last year. You look at his rounds when he's been 19th and 48th here. Um, finished with 66-64 last uh, uh, 2021 over the weekend. Um, you know, every, last eight rounds here under 69 or less. He's going to need to putt a bit better. But I think, looking at the people above him, I've I just decided I think he's more hardy. He's a bit like um, Yannick Paul was at Mallorca. I think he's hardier than the, the people that surround him. So I'm now going to write a paragraph back, Kate Lee, and I'm going to be on very soon. Cool. There you go. Nice little switch up late on during the podcast. There's things we love to see. Um, ben, Cam Davis for you. Um, I know it's a player that you generally you know, do like. Um, he's a standout price of 40s compared to some of the 33s that have shortened up. Is it fair to say with Cam Davis that he's gone from this kind of volatile potential you know, winner who did then finally get a win at the Rocket Mortgage to a little bit more solid um, you know, and less spike weeks, but actually you know, more progressive and, and you know i guess steadier week to week last year yeah and uh, probably a broad demonstration of why the winning is great and it's what they all want to do but if you want to measure how good a golfer is you know he's, he's a better player in 2022 than he was in 2021 yeah. um but in 2021 he had the week where he holed out from a bunker on the 17th hole of the rocket mortgage classic god bless him um <laughs> but you know he didn't play as well on a consistent basis and i think i think basically he's been on an upward trajectory from the moment um we saw him win the australian open um and and obviously this is actually the first year he's gone uh, since his rookie pga tour season the first year he's gone without winning but um i do think he continued to climb the ladder he, he needs to keep doing so to get in the majors and stuff but i'd be really disappointed if he doesn't do that this year um in terms of his chance this week the last time he played home in australia well into uh, the late weeks of December. Um, he came out in the Sony and finished ninth, and that was his first PGA Tour top 10. He's played in it twice since, but after an absence, he's not been able to go home. I think he lives in Chicago as well. Uh, and in terms of getting practice in in December, that's not as easy as it would be down at the Bears Club in Florida. So there may be reasons that he's not quite been sharp out of the gate. Obviously, he did play in one of the tournament champions as well. Um, so it's worth caveating that. But um, look, I don't think while I, on paper, is a great course for him i've generally sided with players who they do good things after the tee shot whereas cam davis obviously when he's firing is a brilliant driver of the ball but um he has talked about how much he likes it there is a bit of breeze forecast certainly on sunday and i just think he's a he's a big price this week i think in terms of his mm -hmm. 
ceiling. I, I think it's a good bit higher than than where he is in the betting. It's a bit of all talk at the moment because stats-wise, he's still not quite at the level of someone like a Tom Hoagie. Uh, but I think he soon will be. And and I do like that he ended last year winning the Sandbelt Invitational. wasn't a big event, but you know Louis Double R and Dave Michalusi were just behind him. They're they're very good Australian youngsters. Um, he will have taken great pleasure in that, and he played very well in the Aussie PGA. Finished seventh, and I think he was about fiftieth at the at the cut mark as well. So um, he's just he just looks like he's got a big year ahead of him and I, I couldn't miss this chance to to put him up but it won't be the last time I put him up this year yeah absolutely and I think there's also a, a tiny bit of hidden form there because he's had that that ninth place finish but he's actually the 36th hole leader uh that year when he was 31st he, he didn't shoot anything worse than 68 and had a second round 66 and a final round 66 and then last year three straight 66 to open to be inside the top 10 and just fell away with a 70 on the final day so as much as kind of miscut ninth 31st 27th doesn't scream anything beyond solid it does actually suggest that you know looking in by round by round ben that he's actually got a better record here than it suggests yeah definitely i mean he certainly likes it um and i think if he can just get off to a good start then then it'd be one of those you'd, you'd sort of start thinking you know 40 to 1 could look very very nice come the weekend he's one of those players i think i i was really impressed with the president's cup and i, I sort of i'm probably guilty of over egging that a little bit at times but i do look to players like that and kh lee's another one you think what could it really do for their careers to to have been part of what was i know they, they lost and everyone thought they'd lose but actually the way the internationals played in particular in that um over the the final couple of sessions i think they'll have taken real real heart from it and and those who really stood up and and he was one of them kh lee was another i i think that would explain why they've continued to play well since and hopefully can keep climbing the ladder yeah absolutely well ben we'll, we'll let you carry on and roll into harris english before we come into um brad's next selection yeah, for me, the best value bet of the week, but probably one with the most risk. I mean, if there's anyone in the field who might have you cursing that he's hit the ball 238 yards into a tree, um, <laughs> it would be Harris English, right? Because he's got a big miss in him off the tee. That said, he started to tidy that up towards the end of last year. And I don't think it's a... I mean, what price was he two years ago for this? He'd have been a very short price. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, unlike some players who have spiralled um, and fallen down the rankings... We have a very legitimate excuse. When he played this event last year and missed the cut, he had a hip injury that um, he finally had to accept required surgery and he missed the next five months. And yet it did take him a a while. I think a player like English, um, who's had driving issues that nearly ruined his career, I'm not really surprised that it took a while to piece things back together. And I know he's not done anything extraordinary since the season started, but he has a top 10 finish in, I think, the Fortinet. He's missed only one cut. And basically every every week he's done something really encouraging and, and perhaps just not for four rounds and you know I watched the QBA QB shootout because I'm an idiot um, I thought he, he was hitting the ball really well in that um, and it just looked to me like those he's come back from his injury he's seen the season out he's reset he's laid the groundwork and now he, I think he's 58th in the world so before his injury he was about 13th or so and I just if I was pricing it, I'd be really defensive with a player like him because, I, you know, at his absolute best, he's one of the top five players in this field. And I think there's enough to believe that he could be close to that. And then you have the fact that he's got a fantastic record of the course. So I, I, he's one of those, if he did, there'd be no regrets, whatever happens with him. If he shoots 80 on Thursday, I'll still think he was a, a brilliant bet of 50. So he'd probably be the better of the week, to be honest. Yeah, and I think with Harris English as well, like we said this last week about a couple of players, but like, one of those people that probably really needed that, that break towards the end of the season. Like you say, he was trying to play his way 
back into the PJ Tour after a long absence. Showed some really good signs at the Mike Cobra at the RSM. Just some flash rounds and Brad that we've kind of spoken about Harris English a decent amount mm-hmm. um, over the last sort of few months on the on the podcast, trying to kind of yeah. find the best places to back him and trying to get him at, at big prices. And whilst he, you know people look at him at fifty to one and say he's not in the form that um, you'd expect, to, to your point, Ben, like the, the fact that he's been so much shorter than that in the past and, and the type of player that he is, it's it really is a case of seeing how he comes out the blocks. He's got an easier course than he, he would have been ending the year on. Um, and somebody that he's played well in the past with three top nine finishes. So um, absolutely agree with a lot on Harris English. Brad, um, Alex Smalley, we just yep. talked about him and the ones to follow, and you're back on this week. Yeah, I think this could be a good spot for him to break through, especially as I, well, as I went into it earlier. He ended the year in excellent form. Um, it was that sort of level of consistency that sort of maybe sort of want to chance him again, sort of jump on board. Um, I know you as well, Tom, you've put him up on here a few times and we spoke about him. Um, we always pick up his chances and we're kind of left disappointed by the end of it. Um, oh, yeah. Find him a, a tough player to get right. Um, but yeah, seeing them, seeing him string those results together at the end of last year, it just sort of gave me enough confidence. Um, he's played it um, for the first time last year. He missed the cut by a couple of shots. Around the 67, which is slightly encouraging, but it's not that low around here. Um, but he was still finding his feet at the time. It was um, only his 10th start on the PGA Tour. And, uh, yeah, he's developed a lot since then. And uh, given his course is Sedgefield, he'd be well-equipped to tackle a similar type of course. And I feel like he's going to do a lot better this time around um, as he's, he's sort of playing. And uh, as we said earlier, like with a breeze and away from home, like tropical. And I just feel like... He he's got that he's got that form and I feel like that the tied fifth finish at the RSM Classic that could be really significant. Yeah, you know, it's another excellent comp for this week and uh, his stats were excellent. First in greens and regulation, um, first in tee to green, ninth in driving. Actually, I just flat stick. Um, it just gives me the impression that this is type of course and I think that's what we've both been struggling with is identifying where best to take him. Um, and I just feel like this is it. This is it, and it ticks a lot of boxes. So yeah, I'm happy to jump on him again. Yeah, no, I like that. I think it's one of those ones where I it's, it's the type of player that I view where I, I don't know how to say it. It's like one of those. I think he can win in better grade fields, so I'll just chance him in that because I don't think it's going to be the the level of competition that hinders him. I think it's going to be like just what frame of mind he's in, what form he's in at the time when he starts. Uh, as to, to what happens with him so um, just maybe just I'm patiently waiting for a bigger price but you know it, it just is what it is you can't we've done this in the past we wait for a big price and then we miss it so definitely mm-hmm. if you feel confident you should go on I did look at um, Kurt Kitayama at this price range I didn't go there um, I just think that at some point he's gonna have a really big tournament once again he, he kind of stepped up last year and played well on the PGA Tour um, but the one I did go for in this range, there's, there's anything from 70 to 60 um, or 50 as well about Mackenzie Hughes. I just think that for me, he's a player that's been really, really consistent to start this, the new season. He's obviously got that win at the Sanderson, played well since then as well. Um, he was 23rd at the Zozo at his next start, which is average, but he was 16th for the Houston Open where he was actually um, fourth after day one and eighth going into Sunday. So to me, like just the way he played, um, those couple of weeks was great. Then you look at the fact that last week he opened with a 66 to sit fifth and closed with a 65. Had those couple of poor rounds that took him out of the, the heat of the battle, which is probably a good thing for him, really, 
trying to compete against those others and then come here. But when you look at his kind of course record, it doesn't you know strike too much excitement. But he's got a 19th place finish here, which is his best, um, and a 27th as well. But on his debut when he was 27th, he posted a 65 and 368. Um, and then in 2021, when he was 19th, he was 60. He was he shot a 65 to sit 10th after day one and closed with 65, 66. So plenty to like about Mackenzie Hughes. Obviously, the four rounds is an issue here so far, um, but I think he can just he can spike. You know, we've seen it before where they have a couple of good tournaments here, don't quite piece it together and then win. And I think he could be uh, the next one. Like frustratingly for someone like Mackenzie Hughes, you think you've worked out where he might play well and. It actually turns out he plays really well at these long courses he shouldn't compete at. So um, just an interesting one. But I think Mackenzie Hughes could be better than his price suggests, especially at the 70-1 to mark if you can get it. Um, ben, JC Poston for you in this range as well. Yeah, not um, not typically a player I'm I'm interested in all that often. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he's, I don't want to say limited, he's a quality player and, I, I, you know, plenty of respect for a player like him to to get on the pga tour but obviously he doesn't hit it very far um and all of his best form seems to come on the sort of course he'll have he'll have grown up on a sort of south carolina classical tree line golf course places like the sanderson farms and the Wyndham, obviously that brad mentioned earlier um they're they're sort of his bread and butter and um he has not yet shown it at wiley but um i do think it's a course that should suit him you know his his, his lack of length is not going to be a hindrance um his approach play is a is a big strength when it's on and obviously he's one of the best 10 or 12 putters on the pga tour on his day so he's got a very similar profile to to several past winners of this and i thought he played nicely last week to warm up on a course that is not necessarily ideal and in certainly deeper waters than he he usually treads um yeah he, like i said if i don't sound excited it's that because i'm just wary <laughs> of that it, it is jt post and then you know, but I think around this sort of golf course, you, you're not far wrong at 66 to one, and um, I do think he'll play better than he has here before. He's got a best of 20th, but I'm not really too bothered about that. You know, it's, it's his type of course. He's got Bermuda greens, as you said earlier. It's actually the second time he's had a, a warm up before he's played this. It might just help him a bit, um, and he has played lots of good golf at El Camaleon, which is probably the best of all the uh, comparisons in, in terms of how the course is played. So, um, yeah, I, I like him. I did want despite my slight um, misgivings about the have to have played last week thing, um, I did want another that had, and I looked at him, I looked at Adam Svensson, who putted horrendously last week, but for which he might have been somewhat interesting. Mackenzie Hughes, all, all those guys who finished mid-pack and, and wouldn't have expected to do better, uh, and I landed on post. Hmm, that's good, because I was just going to roll into Adam Svensson. Um, I just think that when you look at it, uh, again, similar to... Uh, what I said about Tom Hoagie and the fact that this is the first time he's playing this event after playing in the Tournament of Champions. You look at the fact, the fact that he won the RSM Classic back in November, that ticks that kind of box of the current form. It's not the, the worst sort of course to compare it to or the worst set of courses to compare it to. 2019, he opened with a 61 to lead on day one, but eventually finished 43rd. But you go back to, to last year and he was 7th with rounds of 64, 65 and 267. So he's now coming in after the tournament championships for the first time, first time as a winner, um, and it just seems like a, a slightly better, more well-rounded PGA Tour pro than he has been in the past. Um, I thought that Adam Svensson uh, was a decent enough value, considering, like you, Ben, I just wanted someone that kind of played uh, in the past, and not just that, but someone that you know has shown some recent signs. So I like Svensson and Hughes for those reasons. 
Um, Jason, before we come on to, to the last section for Ben and Brad that they agree on, any more for you in this range? Uh, not in that range, no, mate. Three figures. And, and so let, let's go on to um, the, the final pick for you, Brad, and, and Ben can kind of follow up with anything you don't mm-hmm. say about him uh, with Robbie Shelton. Yeah, I, f- I feel like he's marked his return to the PGA Tour with some excellent golf. He's only missed the cut uh, once from seven starts, um, finished tied 10th last time out of the RSM Classic. Um, his all-round game was solid, um, 32nd off the tee, 17th on approach, 13th around the green, 4th in putting. Only concern for me was his driving accuracy, because we know how important that will be this week, rough up as well. Um, but he's played it twice before, missing the cut on his first try, and then a much-improved effort last time here. Finished tied 25th, um, carded four rounds in the 60s. Um, he has a sip at the Mayakoba to his name, uh, which is another short coastal track. Um Four wins on the Corn Ferry Tour, but none of the his wins have come on Bermuda grass. But if he's putting anything like he is last week, that's not a concern. He has had a second and a third. Um, but yeah, there were a couple that did appeal for me in this range, but uh, in the triple digit sort of range. But um, he certainly jumped out as the, the best option. So I think with, with Robbie Shelton, he went to Alabama, didn't he? And I think there was a lot of comparisons around him and kind of Justin Thomas. And they kind of said he had this kind of cutthroat attitude that was going to be really helpful when he got to the PGA Tour. And he played on, you know, Walker Cup teams with Bryson and Maverick McNeely and, and, and players like that. Like he's, he had a lot of hype around him, then won twice on the Corn Ferry Tour in 2019 uh, and, and just struggled to make the step up. But you look at the fact that he beat Scotty Scheffler to win his first uh, Corn Ferry Tour title. Um, he's beaten Ben Griffin and Ben Taylor last year, both that have played on the PJ Tour as well. Like we've already mentioned Ben Griffin a couple of times already. Like there's plenty to like about him. Um, it, it's just you mentioned interestingly that that driving accuracy might be important. The stats kind of suggest that it doesn't really matter what you do driving wise, but I wonder. You know they've grown the the rough half well, the this year. Up, but, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I just wonder if, if that's a difference. But when you look, 15th at the that's Shriners, 10th at the RSM. Um, you know, plenty to like to, towards the end of last year. And Ben, anything to add on Robbie Shelton? No, not really. I, I like him. I, I think he's a player who gets sort of better the closer he gets to the green, which is a good formula here. Um, I always remember you, you stuff stays with you, doesn't it? And I remember can't can't recall the name of his coach, but his his college coach basically said he's got the best mind of anyone he'd worked with, and he'd worked with a lot of good golfers at Alabama. Um, and I think. Um, you know, we, we can see a bit of that through the way he's he's outclassed uh, fields on the Corn Ferry Tour when he's been on. Um, and I'm hopeful he's just one of those that needed a couple of looks around and, and now can really come into his own. And everything he did the back end of last season, the way he played over the uh, final couple of rounds of the RSM Classic, suggests that might be the case. And again, as Brad alluded to, uh, that sixth place at Al Camaleon and the, the 25th here, they're both just really nice to see because mm. i'd have liked him anyway because i think statistically he's, he's got a good makeup for this but uh the fact that he played so well here when he was out of form and the fact that he's uh got that top 10 at al camaleon were, were both massively in his favor and he was one of those on my long list of players to watch so yeah he was uh, always going to be selected at three figures yeah interesting that you say he's got a sixth base in mexico and if that had come um you know this year like as opposed to the the three years ago that it did come there'd be a probably a completely different price point based on the correlations that are drawn between two courses so um yeah i do like everything that we've kind of said about robbie shelton there jason let's round out the podcast with a couple of longer selections from you no just one um just one uh, yeah grayson sig who was one of my uh players to follow last year um 
Georgia Bulldog, so obviously a quality player, as is every single player that you ever <laughs> talk about, it seems to be honest with you. Um, can shoot low, um, uh, you know, has been on obviously lower level that he's done that, but he was rookie of the year on the um, uh, KFT 2020 um, Been educated, been educated through the initial part of his uh, PGA Tour career, um, but as you know, has come to the fore now, I think. Um, as a better chance, his form figures uh, sort of hide um, a better a, a better game. So Sanders, but like, it's all in front of you. It's on tour tips, blah blah blah. Um, Ninth for the Sanderson. Um, where is my uh, where's my putting stats? Uh, Sanderson eleventh strokes gained putting. Shriners he was seventh. Um, RSM he was uh, eighth, I believe. Um, and they're all Bermuda of a type. Uh, at Mayakoba, which we all agree is a great link. He actually was in the top five before a really bad final round. At the RSM, again, I think he went from inside the top 15 down to 40, in the 40s after round two and fought back again to finish on 15. Um, he's getting there. It, it looks to me like he's a, a player that will improve the experience all the time. He's not a long hitter, so of course like this, he's one of the straightest hitters that has come out of college again a course like this would be perfect for him um uh, there, there's so, i've always i've been keeping my eye on sig for uh, over a year now and and this is where i want to be um will he have needed an outing don't know I'll let you know in four days time um but i'm quite happy that this type of event honda all, all that you know windham all that type of thing i think i know you missed the cut last year but that type of course um I, i'll call them the webb simpson type russell hendy courses um, I think he'll do very well. And I'm, I'm prepared to take three figures this week and hope that he, he does well and doesn't start that again. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones racing sick where people were expecting an awful lot from him. Didn't quite reach the, the heights that people wanted, but by the same token, you know, kept his card and, and done okay. So it's, it's like you say, I think it's picking spots of, of where to play him, and that's absolutely true. And the Sony Open is definitely one of those. I think we we earmarked him for this last year, and I don't think there's anything really changed in his games. It's just that it's not the place for him. So absolutely understand uh, why you would be on him there. One for me that I, that I was kind of I always remember him for kind of his diminutive figure more than anything else. But David Lingworth um, was playing well at the end of last season. Uh, he finished 11th at the Bermuda, 8th in Mexico, I believe it was, uh, and 10th again at the uh, RSM Classic before signing off. Like There was just plenty to uh, like about the, the way that David Lingmer finished the season. He got the win on the Corn Ferry Tour uh, back in August as well. To me, like this is a guy that beat Justin Rose at his peak um, in the Memorial Tournament. He's lost two playoffs in the Humana Challenge and a career build at the same event twice. And... How good he is, I don't know. What his upside is for him, I don't know. But I do know that he can win. I do know that he can win in this um, quality of field. And just the way that he finished off last year, the fact that he's played well um, in Mexico is, is a good indication, especially so recently. And at, you know, at his very best, he was second in the Players' Championship. He's played well at the, the WGC at Bridgestone. So, yeah, for me, David Lee Murphy at kind of 200 to 1. I think there's there's some value there to be had. Um, whether he can keep the form that he was showing towards the tail in the last season remains to be seen. But 201, eight places, I will find out. So I am going to summarise my picks uh, and then we'll just go around the board. So I, I've reluctantly left out Tom Hoagie and I've gone with Keith Mitchell at 33 to 1, Mackenzie Hughes at 70 to 1, 
Adam Svensson, I don't know if there's still 80 to 1 about him. 75 to 1 generally seems to be the consensus. And the 200 to 1, uh, David Lingmurth. Jason, I'll come to you for your picks. Uh, Tom Kim's going to win by five, but I'm not going to put him up. I'm back. Yeah, I hope you're right. <laughs> um, uh, and Russell Henley really annoys me, and I think he's going to go well. But I've gone Corey Connors, uh, great teeth, uh, KH Lee, and Grayson Sig. Nice, nice little list there. Uh, Brad, for you? Um, I've gone Tom Kim in the free players market with Bet365, 14 to 1. Alex Smalley, I think the best price is 50 to 1, eight places. The same Bet365 each way, extra market. And Rob Sheldon, I don't know what the press price is now. I think it might be 125 to 1 with Skybet. Yeah, Skybet. Yeah, yep. Eight places. And then, Ben, just a summary of your picks. Obviously, people have probably seen your article at this point, but just to summarise those as well. Yeah, Brian Harmon at 25 to 1. Um, definitely wouldn't go lower than 20s, but I do think he's got a great chance uh, to end a, a drought. Uh, Cam Davis at 40. Harris English, the, the best of the week for me, at 55. Uh, JT Poston at 66. And Robbie Shelton at 125, all eight places. Excellent. Thank you very much. Guys, thank you as ever. Um, I know that we kind of generally set times of how long these things are going to last and they never do last uh, the, the shorter end of the scale that I give you. So, um, gents, thank you very much for being here. Ben, thank you very much for sticking it out and, and staying for as long as you did. Um, you know, a nice way to sort of celebrate the 200th episode. You know, Sony Open is an event I really love to watch. I don't know why I love it so much. I guess it's probably just the start of the year and the views and things like that, but it is an event I enjoy. Um, it's great to kind of get all your opinions at the round table of, of all the people to follow this year. So um, great stuff, everyone. Thank you very much for joining in. Hope that was uh, you know useful for listeners that have joined in. And uh, we'll catch you all next week. Mm-hmm.